Jesus is, Jesus is the, best the best thing that has ever happened, has ever happened to, me. to me. Do you believe that? Do you mean that? If we do, we've been transformed. We exist to bring Him glory and to share that good news with other people. Because I'm telling you, Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. Thank you for being here on this historic second Sunday of Transformation Church. It is the desire of Transformation Church to be a church where anybody and everybody can be transformed by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God did not call us away from established churches to be a holy huddle to sit here and pet Christians and make Christians happy. God called us away from established churches to do a new thing in Northeast Georgia, to let all of Northeast Georgia know that just as Jesus transformed us, He can transform them. So this church isn't about having our needs met, but listen, the greatest way to have my needs met is to serve the Lord. Because even Jesus, the Son of Man, didn't come to be served, but to be a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. So for this to be a successful church plan, that's what we got to be about. we got to be about service. So some of you were up late last night, early this morning, cooking and preparing lunch so we can have lunch together today. And you got up extra early. You lost an hour of sleep last night to come and worship. Students driving from 35, 40 minutes away. So this is, this is a great thing that the Lord is doing. And I want you to dream big. I want us to think big. I keep using the term holy huddle because so many churches are nothing more than man-centered holy huddles that exist to meet the whims of the people or to please the power brokers or the families in charge. We don't want to be that kind of church. We want to be a God-centered church that we see God do big things that only God can do because we're just normal, ordinary people. And God loves to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things. I want to think with you this morning on this subject. It's not about you. It's not about you. That's not an original statement from me, but that is a powerful statement that it's not about you. Transformation Church is not about me. Transformation Church is not about you. Transformation Church is about bringing Him glory and seeing all those homes that we passed as we drove here today. Jesus wants to transform them as well. Jesus wants them to experience what you and I have experienced. So God saved us to serve Him, and we serve the Lord by serving others. That's what Jesus did for us. So take your copy of your, the Word of God, if you will, and turn to Matthew chapter number 4. We're kind of, kind of being in some different places this morning. Matthew chapter 4. A church plant has got to be made up of a core of strong believers who aren't looking to have our needs met, but to roll up our sleeves and to get dirty and to touch this community with the good news of the gospel. There's so many different ways you can do that. I mean, we're, we have a blank slate here. We said last week, nobody will ever say, I've been here 50 years and we've never done it that way. We'll never hear that anymore. We've got a blank slate. In order for the blank slate to be successful, we're all servants together. We've all got to play a part. So we're looking for people who would do like Blake was out there in the cold greeting people this morning, helping people in. Some folks to kind of help Miss Julie and Miss Jenny with preschool and nursery would kind of take turns doing that. So nobody's having to do that every week. Um, listen, our, our car was loaded down this morning. I thought we were going to have to bring two cars. We're bringing coffee. We're bringing pastries. We're bringing nursery supplies. I'd love to be able to pass off coffee ministry to somebody else. We've got a big container, a big tub. We've got coffee makers in there and all the stuff in there. If somebody wants to adopt that ministry, that is your ministry to do. I want you to circle on your calendar September the 11th, 2022. Everything we're doing between now and September the 11th is building up to that date. 
I've never done this before. Pastor Matt has done this before in a church plant. So I'm, I'm, we're reaching out. We're asking people for advice. We're asking people for help. And we met with Pastor Blue last week from um, Purpose Church. Some of you went to Purpose Church on their very first Sunday. And he said, Mike, you don't need to be meeting every week. I'm like, but we already have a church. We have an instant church. So we're meeting. He said, you people need to be doing ministry and building up to September the 11th. Anything that hinders you from getting ready from September the 11th, you got to knock that off and you got to focus on that day and dream big. Pastor, we said, Pastor Blue, we got a core. We got about 40 people already. If everybody's here at one time, we probably have more than that. And he said, if you've got that many people today, on September the 11th, you will have 400 people at your launch. This is a man who's doing This is a man who studied it. They spent years planting and planning this church. We haven't spent years. I don't have a degree in this. I want to learn from people who are doing it well. But, but when he said that, it lit a fire in me. That we could literally have 400 people here on September the 11th. Do you know how many chairs the East Hall Community Center has available? 400. There was no accident that we asked how many chairs you have, and they told us. So in many church plants, you're having to buy chairs. You're having to do all of that stuff. So September the 11th is what we're reaching for. And we want to do things with excellence. You know, I went to Liberty uh, Baptist Theological Seminary when Dr. Jerry Falwell was still alive. And I heard Dr. Falwell in chapel almost every week tell us this. If it's Christian, it ought to be better. If it's Christian, it ought to be better. So many times in the Christian world, let's just be honest. Sometimes Christian movies are cheesy, aren't they? We've come a long way with the with Sherwood Church down in Albany and the Kendrick Brothers, but back when, if, if some of you remember the, the original Left Behind movies, y'all remember those? How cheesy, they scared me to death, but they were still cheesy. Sometimes Christian music is cheesy. Sometimes churches do stuff that's cheesy. If it's Christian, it ought to be better. God strategically put on our heart to plant here in East Hall, the most unreached part of our county, perhaps the poorest part of our county, and we want to offer our best for the glory of God and to the people that we believe God's going to send to us. We want to do our best for the glory of God because we believe every soul in East Hall matters. And God is putting it on the heart of other people outside of this room to be a part of this. The church that I grew up in, Quite frankly, it was a liberal church at the time, a nice pastor, but didn't really believe the Bible, didn't preach the whole Bible, but now it's a strong conservative church. And they have a pastor, I've only met him once or twice, never sat under his ministry. He was a church pastor in Miami, Florida. He said, Mike, I miss multicultural ministry. God put on our heart for Transformation Church to be multi-generational, and right off the bat we're multi-generational. God granted that request. And for us to be multi-ethnic. We want all people groups represented. If we live in a county that is predominantly Hispanic, our church ought to look like that. He said, Mike, we don't want to just send y'all money. We want to come help you. I'll call you this week and we'll talk. I don't know what that's going to look like if they'll come up here and do a mission trip with us. But when you hear about things like Portable Church, Pastor Matt and I met with the Portable Church guy this week. He came in. Portable Church comes in. He surveyed the property. He asked us questions. He took all day Wednesday in his hotel room to draw up plans and schemes and meet with us at, at IHOP Thursday morning to give us, here's the price. Here's what it's going to take, really at a minimum, to do what what God's called you to do. I told you I've never done this before. About half of church plants don't make it. That's a pretty startling statistic. About half don't make it. The ones that do make it, 
dream big for God, and they do things with excellence. So we're loaded down in the car right now. Pastor Matt's loaded down with sound equipment. If we're going to have 400 people here on 9-11, we've got to dream big and we've got to plan big. For 400 people in the gymnasium, which is where we'll be at that time, we've got to have a, a stage so people can see the, the singers and the, the preaching of the word. We've got to have sound. We've got to have lights. We've got, we got nursery today in preschool, but they come in and make that room that we started out meeting in with our college students. That will look just like a preschool room when you walk into it. They put stuff on the floor, on the walls. They do all of that. To kind of put things in perspective, we're talking about a church from A to Z. Everything we need, right down to coffee stirrers for the coffee bar. They thought of everything to make this happen. It's loaded in a 24-foot trailer in labeled rolling cases, so we roll them in. We go into the nursery, set up the nursery. This room will be children's church at that time with a television screen in here for those who are leading our children's church. That'll be labeled. It'll all fit back in that 24-foot trailer. And to put it in perspective, some of you know the church that we just left we were raising money for a sound system and video projectors. That was it. We were going to upgrade the sound system and video projectors. The price tag on that, some of you remember, was $140,000 just to do sound and lights. The estimate he gave us, it's not all the bells and whistles that we would like at this time, but it's a minimum to get us going from signs. And by the way, we can buy this in stages. We hope to have signs out by the road in the next month so people can help see where we are. Do you see all those kids out there practicing ball and the teens wind chill today? What if we had signs up for Transformation Church serving lunch today? They could come in after that. To do everything A to Z, remember, sound and lights at the last church was $140,000. The estimate he gave us was $131,000, less than that. That's a lot of money. This room can't do that. We can't. There's not enough of us to do that. We don't have that kind of money. But for a church plant to be successful, it's kind of free. I'm just being transparent with you. It's kind of freaked me out a little bit this week. Pastor Blue said, you need to spend four out of every five hours fundraising, calling churches and calling people. I was way out of my comfort zone to ask people for money. I can send a prayer letter and ask them. And then I have a former student of mine who's in church planning. He said, Mike, you can't be working in Nabisco and have a successful church plant come September the 11th. You've got to get on the phone. You've got to go speak in churches. You've got to help raise the funds because we don't have that. That's not represented in this room. So we think if our tithes and offerings can help pay the rent on this building and some expenses like plates, cups, coffee, and that kind of stuff, we're trusting God. Because here's the thing about that 131000 When it's done, it's done. We have a complete church. It's everything we need to do it with excellence we have at that moment. So if we got a core of about 40 adults, everybody comes at one time, Pastor Blue said, here's what you need to do. You need to seek 200 people, that's a lot of people, who will give $200 a month above and beyond their tithes to their local church for five months. That's $1,000. If 200 people do that for five months, we've just raised everything we need for the first year of ministry. Portable church, the advertising, we'll do mail-outs before September the 11th. He said he spends about $12,000 on those, and he said one of his biggest mistakes was he didn't send enough of those. Pastor Blue invited us to come to... The, I'm not even getting to my text yet. I'll get there in a minute. He invited us to pray about this. He said, I'm not your Holy Spirit, but I want you and your people to see what God can do. This is our second Sunday. This is their third Sunday. He invited us to come to their church on Easter Sunday. It's in Houston. Some of you went there. You come, you help volunteer at our church on Easter Sunday. It'll be about their sixth or seventh week. 
give your people a picture of what God can do. They're planning to have over 400 people there that day. So I think we're praying about that. Let me know what you think about that. For us to go help this new church serve, we're helping each other, and God give us a picture. If God can do that in their sixth Sunday, we're talking September the 11th, the six months away, what can God do then? If we spend this summer, it means, it means we got to do some stuff different, y'all. we got to think outside the box. If we're going to bring in a church willing to do a mission trip up here, uh, me and my wife got to clean out some bedrooms at our house that we got junk in to put people in. We're going to have to all do that and come together to do that. Why? Because Jesus is great. We just sing about how great He is. If He is great, He deserves my best. He deserves your best. Apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no hope for Hall County. There is no hope for the nations. You know, it's estimated that 75,000 people worldwide die every day without ever hearing the gospel. Without ever hearing the gospel. Now, when I grew up in rural South Georgia, I just assumed everybody had. I didn't get saved until I was 15, but I'd heard the gospel. When summer rolled around, my mama worked full time, so me and my sister went to every vacation Bible school in town. So I heard all this stuff. I didn't make that personal in my life until I was 15. But then I remember when I was working at a grocery store in Athens when I was in college. And for Mother's Day, I know things are different now, but back then, Mother's Day, everybody bought a flower for your mama. Who remembers that? The color flower corresponded if your mom's living, if your mom's with the Lord, all this kind of stuff. And a boy came in and he said, why do y'all have all these flowers for sale? And I thought, what rock did you just crawl out from under? Everybody knows you go to church on Mother's Day and you get your mama. He had no clue. You know, we just sang about speaking Jesus over our family. The Lord just got, y'all, I have a son-in-law who does not know the Lord. If Jesus comes back today, my son-in-law who grew up in Miami, Florida, in poverty, much like the community we're in, had never been to church. He'd been to a Catholic church once or twice as a little boy. He came to Riverbend a time or two in Airline. That's He's never been in church. That's the world we're living in. I don't have to go to Brazil or Uganda or a foreign country. We passed bunches of houses to get here today of people who don't know the Lord. Did you know that 83% of the world's population have heard of Coca-Cola? Think about that. 83% of the world. I mean, there's like jungles and places where people don't go, but 83% of the world has heard about Coca-Cola. 76% of the world's population have seen a Coca-Cola. And 63% of all human beings on planet Earth have drank a Coca-Cola. But yet we're surrounded by people who know nothing about the Lord. That tells me that a secular company who disdains people of faith like us, by the way, if you watch the news in the last year, a secular company does a better job of getting their message out than we do. Coke used to say they're the real thing. No, Jesus is the real thing. And if Coca-Cola can saturate the planet with their message, we should saturate the planet with, planet with the message of the gospel of Jesus starting right here in East Hall County. God's desire is that all people come to know Him and worship Him. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, If you're physically able, let's stand because we, we give honor and reverence to the Word of God. The power's in the Word of God. It's not a preacher or a personality. So we stand to honor God's Word. Verse 18. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter, and Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed Him. Lord, just as you called to those early disciples to drop everything they were doing 
and follow you. I'm so encouraged by the people in this room who dropped what they were doing to step out and trust you to do a new thing, a new church. Lord, we know the last thing we need is just another church like all the others. But God, I pray you'll burn a passion in our heart to be different for your glory. Burn a passion in our heart that we want to touch this community. We don't want to gather in a holy huddle to have our needs met, but we want to offer something that the world cannot offer to people, a personal relationship with you and a transformed life. So Lord, just as they left their nets to follow you, help us to leave the familiarity that we've been living in and follow you down any road at any cost. In the name of your son Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Reckon what went through their minds when Jesus said, Y'all come on, follow me. If there were Baptists, they'd have formed a committee and had to talk about it for several months to study it and say, What's it going to take? If we're... They dropped their nets at once and followed the Lord. Can I just, can y'all talk to me for a little bit this morning? What went through your mind when the Lord called you? If you know, some of you are still praying about it, but if you know the Lord called you to be a part of this new church, to step out of the familiarity of an established church, wherever that was, what are some things that have gone through your mind as we're doing this? It is very scary. You are right about that. It is very scary. Um, it's scary for all of us. You know, um, when, when I hear things like $131,000, when I hear things about 200 people or churches, listen, if there's 40 of us, and if all of us can find two churches or individuals willing to do that, 40 of us times two, we'd have $80,000 just in this room, and I only got to raise the rest of that when I go out to other churches and do that. So it is scary, Miss Marianne, you're right. What else went through y'all's minds? Excitement. I can tell you I'm more energized than I've been in a long, long time. It's, it's hard work. You know, I... Get up at 3.30 in the morning and I go stock cookies and crackers. I hurt from head to toe, but I'm more excited and fulfilled in ministry than I've been in a long, long time. Praying I ain't got to do that forever and it will just be temporary. Somebody else. That's right. If we do what we can do, we get what we can get. When we pray and seek the face of God, we get what God can do. And that's what we want. I said in my prayer, I don't, Hall County didn't just need another church like all the rest of them. Although we did say if you filled every church in this county, you would still have tens of thousands of lost people who can't get inside. That's how many lost people are here. But we want, to be, we want this to be a God-centered church. And for that to happen, we've got to be people of prayer. Someone else, what went through your mind? Pray for laborers. Pray for laborers. If 400 people, if we're trusting God for 400 people to be in that gym on Easter Sunday, it's got to be more than just us. So we're not advertising right now. We're not sending out mailers. We're not sending out flyers. We're asking God to build the core of believers who are willing to roll up our sleeves and work to drop everything and follow our nets. So just as God called them to drop their nets and follow Him, He called us to drop what we were doing to come and follow Him to do something new. And Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word translated power is the same word where we get our word dynamite. It is explosive power from God. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When does the Holy Spirit come upon us? Is it a second blessing? Nope. Holy Spirit comes upon us when? At the moment of salvation. 
So if you know Jesus as the Lord of your life, that Holy Spirit power already resides in us. He says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he doesn't say form a committee. He doesn't say study witnessing techniques. He says you will be my witnesses. When our life has been transformed, we will automatically want to tell people about that. He says everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So right here in East Hall County, throughout Northeast Georgia, the state of Georgia, the United States, and I had a young man who just turning 21 years old this month message me last night and say, when are you coming back to Brazil? When are you going to bring another mission team to Brazil? We're going to trust God to do big things to touch this community, but also through our tithes and offerings to touch the nations through our giving and our going as well. Why would we not not tell everybody about the rescue we had? You see, when I understand my salvation means I was on my way to hell, I deserve to be in hell right now. Just the jump, the sin I committed after my salvation is enough that I ought to be in hell today. But when he reached down his nail-scarred hand and he rescued me and he saved my sorry behind knowing I can still be a jerk, when I realize what God has done for me, I can't help but want to share that with other people. If I had the cure for cancer, Squonk, I squawk about her mom, and she was telling me her mom has cancer. I got to meet her mom when Jalen was in the hospital. If I had the cure for cancer, and I didn't share it with my friend and her mom, what kind of jerk would I be to have the cure for cancer and not share that? Here's the reality. If the Lord doesn't come back in our lifetime, and I think He could, we're going to all die anyway. If I got the cure for cancer, I want to share that and prolong somebody's life, but we're still going to die anyway if the Lord doesn't come back. What we've got, transformation in Jesus, is eternal. It's the only thing that will matter 5,000 years from today. So when I see salvation as eternal rescue from damnation and separation from God, I can't help but share that with other people. So this is what we're going to do. Write this down, number one. We must love God supremely. If I don't love God supremely, this ain't going to work. Bad grammar, but it's true theology. If I don't love God supremely, I'm going to get tired. If I don't love God supremely, it's going to get old getting up stocking cookies and crackers when I just go get another full-time job somewhere else and take care of my needs. If you don't love God supremely, you're not going to be motivated to get out of bed early on a cold morning to come and shake hands and hug necks and help put together a breakfast. If you don't love God supremely, I'm never going to be able to guilt you into helping serve in the nursery or children's church or coming early and setting up a stage and a sound system. We must love Him supremely. If not, it's just all in vain. All I can do is just so much motivational talks unless the Holy Spirit of God gets a hold of you. Matthew chapter 12, familiar passage, verse 29, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And we think if somebody loves God 90%, that's pretty good. If somebody loves God with 90% of their mind, that's pretty good. But that's not the standard. The standard is the totality of who I am, my heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I don't love God supremely, I don't care that the people I passed are going to hell. If I don't love God supremely, I'm living for myself. I'm not concerned about the rest of the world. But when I love Him supremely, there's a passion in our heart to know Him and to make Him known. And if we don't get this one right, as Katrina said, prayer and loving God supremely, if we don't get this one right, nothing else is going to matter at Transformation Church. We will be a statistic of those 50% of churches that don't make it if we don't love God supremely. Number two, write this down. We must see people living hopelessly. We must see people living hopelessly. 
We said, when we see Hall County, we're not looking at red, yellow, black, white, rich, poor, skinny, fat. When we see Hall County, we see saved and lost. That's the only kind of people there are, saved and lost. And when I realized, as, as Miriam said, the world is scary. Gas is four dollars and something a gallon. You know, did, did you? I, I just saw the headline on my phone. I try not to watch too much news that Russia launched rockets near the border of Poland last night. Uh, things are scary. We know we've read the last chapter. We know how it's going to end. We're Christians. We look at the price of gas, and I'm working in grocery stores every day, so I see how the prices are going through the roof. I see the empty things on the shelves that I can't stock, and people are like, where are my Nilla wafers? I can't get Nilla wafers right. Where are my salt? You know, when I see, and I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I know the Lord's in control, but it can still be scary. Imagine how you'd feel if you didn't know the Lord, and you're living in this world, and this mess is happening all around us. When the world starts talking about World War III, it's unsettling, but I know where I'm going. I mean, he's going to blow that trumpet, he's going to toot, and I'm going to scoot, I'm going to be out of here. But there's a lot of people that are not. And I need to see lost people living hopelessly. Luke 13, 5 says, I tell you again, unless you repent, you will perish too. If people don't turn to Jesus, they'll die and go to hell. Revelation 20, 15, anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire, a literal burning lake of fire. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. The Greek language there paints an amazing word picture that Jesus was literally sick to his stomach. It, it made him nauseous when he saw the lostness and the hopelessness of the people around him. If that's the way the Lord Jesus reacted... And we're to be like Jesus. That should be our reaction. We should be moved with compassion. Why? The scripture says they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Nobody to lead them. Listen, they don't necessarily need a pastor. They need a Christian who works with them and goes to school with them. A Christian who lives in the neighborhood to love them and point them to Jesus. Then he said this to his disciples. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers. I said we can't guilt people enough. Preachers, you know, we put announcements in bulletins. We bang on the pulpit. We beg people to come. We beg people to serve. We beg people. Mm -mm. We don't love God supremely. That will only go so far. But when I'm motivated by the helplessness and the hopelessness of those around me, I will pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers. Because I, I can't do it all. Pastor Matt can't do it all. You can't do it all. But together we can do something. We have got, in this church plant, we got the cart before the horse. We're supposed to spend about a year researching and planning and raising funds. We have an instant church. So we missed the opportunity to do a lot of that stuff. And some people say, y'all are moving too fast. <clears throat> Are we moving too fast or is God moving too fast by giving us an instant church? So we're trying to do the best we can to seek the wisest counsel we can. Here's, Katrina and I had a good conversation last night. Here's the reality. We could sit out under this tree in the 20-degree in the weather and we can worship Jesus. And it's Jesus and that's all I need. If we just want to have a holy huddle, those of us who love Jesus, we can meet in somebody's garage, somebody's nasty garage. We can have a worship service. We can worship Jesus. We don't exist to be a holy huddle. We exist to reach people who aren't going to church anywhere and they're faced with choices. They go to a free chapel or a Christ place or a concord and they can sit there and nobody ever asks them to do anything. 
Anybody ever ask them to take up offering, keep the nursery, just nothing. Just be another face in the crowd. I'm not saying that's wrong because that church does have servants to do what they do. But God has called us to roll up our sleeves and get busy to see people hopelessly. And number three, we got to witness passionately. We must witness passionately. Write that down. There are things that probably all of us are passionate about. Anybody that knows me more than about one day knows I'm passionate about that little blonde-headed boy named Wyatt McCoy Dura. I cannot get enough of that little boy. I'm obsessed with that little boy, my first grandson. I had the best papa on planet Earth. He was my hero. I want to be that papa to Wyatt. We got to go visit with him the other night. He's walking. He was walking like Frankenstein, and he was just tearing off going everywhere. I'm passionate about that little boy. I can't, to get to sit back, those of you who have grandchildren, it's awesome when we have children, but to see my boy, my little boy that looked just like that at that age, to see my little boy loving his little boy so well, whew, blows me away. I am passionate about the University of Georgia Bulldogs. Y'all know that if you know me. I will act like a fool. I will paint my face red and black. I'll bark like a bulldog with 93,000 other people. We went to that baseball game a few weeks ago. It was hot as blue blazes. We were cranberry like sardines, and we lost. I don't like to lose to anybody, but especially the nerd school. We lost to Georgia Tech. I'm passionate about the dogs. I'm passionate... Apologies to Blake here, you know, takes all, at least he's not a gator, okay, but gators need Jesus too. If I can be passionate about my grandson who cannot affect anybody's eternity unless he sells out to Jesus, if I can be passionate about the bulldogs who can't do anything for my eternity or anybody else's, shame on us when we're lukewarm in our faith about Jesus. Shame on us when we just want to go sit in a church and let somebody minister to us and we walk out of there and act like, what we just heard makes no difference. We must be passionate. If we don't have passion and love God supremely, this is not going to last. There'll never be a September the 11th. There'll never be 400 people. Or we've got to be passionate about it. I'm not a passionate fisherman. My son is. I don't do much for hunting and fishing. I'm from Cordill in South Georgia. I fished a little bit with my daddy because it was one of the only things my dad would do. He didn't know Jesus at the time to spend time with me. So I'd go fishing. You know what we have in South Georgia? Gnats. You know what gnats are? They're demons with wings on sent to torment you. So you sit out there fishing. All I can do is swat gnats and shake my fishing pole. And daddy's like, you got to be still got. I can't stand it. My son likes to get up and infringe on Chinese people's time with God and get in a deer stand and hope if he does it 20 times, he might see a deer one time. I don't understand that. Just shoot it and let me eat it and I'm happy. I love to eat fish. But some lessons we can learn from fishermen. Jesus called them to leave their nets, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of people, of men and women and souls. Right, letter A, fishermen are diligent. Fishermen are diligent about what they do. I wish we had Ben Smith here. He's a professional fly fisherman. He could tell us all about that. That joker is diligent with his fishing. I follow him on Instagram. He catches some big old giant trout. They don't, he doesn't give up. They're diligent. We've got to be diligent. We cannot give up. If we have 40 people here one week and 20 people here the next week, we cannot give up in that. You know something else statistics tell us? I'm trying to learn from all these people. They say if you start with 40 people, if you're not careful in a year, you may have 20 people. What's the key there? Getting involved. Rolling up. When you help own the ministry, when you realize we don't have paid preachers here, we're all together rolling up our sleeves, when you realize you've got to own the ministry, you'll stick with it. have got to be diligent. The second thing about fishermen, that's why I'm not good at it, they're patient. Fishermen are patient and persevering. They will sit there and sit there and wait and swat the gnats and hope they catch a fish. 
we got to be patient and persevering. Now, the good news for us is most church plants don't start with this many people. Most church plants start with 12, 15, 20 people. So already ahead of the ball game there. But we got to be patient and persevering. James 5, 7 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. If God let me take one word out of the Bible and just erase one word, it would be that one, patient. I don't like it and I don't want it. I learned not to pray for it. You know not to pray for patience, right? I prayed for patience years ago as a college student. God sent me to intern at the state capitol in Atlanta and drive in that traffic. I ain't never praying for patience again. The Bible says tribulation works patience. If you want to have more patience, it, trouble brings that. But he says, no, you got to be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. We may have some weeks, especially this summer when our students are gone, maybe 10 or 12 of us, are we going to persevere? Are we going to hang in there? Are we going to say, God called us? Have you all heard Karen Peck's new CD, your cousin? Have you got that? Whoo! I'm telling you, I, I texted her yesterday and said, I think every time you can't outdo your last one, and you do. That song, Lead Me Through, if God leads you to it, God will lead you through it. God's called us to do this, so God's going to do it. God didn't call you to leave an established, comfortable church to come. God's going to do it, and souls are worth the wait. We've got to be patient and persevering. The third thing about fishermen, fishermen are willing to change methods and locations. If the fish ain't biting here, you go somewhere else. Fishermen are willing to change methods and locations. The gospel never changes. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus never changes. But the methods must change. If we're going to reach, again, if we're having a holy huddle, I'm good in your garage. I'm good with no air conditioning under a tree. If, it's just, if we're just concerned about us and a holy huddle, we want to reach lost people. We want to reach poor people who don't have anything. We want to show them that God wants to bless them. God wants to transform them. So we've got to be willing to change our methods and do things a little bit differently. We're doing it. We're in a community center. Do you realize that for a little under $1,000 this month, we've had this room, we got this room every Sunday and every Thursday night for our students. If we were in a church building, we'd be paying a mortgage. We'd be paying one church plant, Julie and I went to, that pay $600 a month just in their utilities. We'd be paying for internet. We'd be paying for a cleaning service. But for less than 1000 we get all of this, your tax dollars at work. It's a beautiful thing for a change to do that. So what I'm trying to tell you is once we raise the money for portable church, it's paid for and it's done. We don't have to come up with a whole lot of resources to make a huge impact on this county, to be able to buy tracks, to send people out, to feed the poor, to give backpacks, to do the things we need to do to touch, touch a community that needs the Lord. We've got to change methods. We can't, if we, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. We have enough of ho-hum, man-centered churches. Fishermen are willing to change methods and locations. 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul said, When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. We've got to be willing to change methods and locations. Letter D, fishermen are willing to get dirty in the process. Fishermen are willing to get dirty in the process. You're willing to get out there and sweat fall in the muddy Flint River if you have to, whatever it takes to catch those fish. we got to roll up our sleeves and get dirty. You know, that's why we said last week, come as you are to this church. God cares more about your heart than what you're wearing. And when we're trying to reach a community that doesn't have a lot of resources, I ain't wearing a three-piece suit because they can't afford that. I want them to feel like they're at home among common people just like us. We want people to feel right at home when they come here. And so if it means i got to get out and i got to get dirty, if it means somebody says, hey, you know, 
I don't have anything. I don't have any family in the area. And, you know, my husband is the only breadwinner, and he fell and, you know, hurt his foot or hurt his back. I need somebody to come help cut the grass. we got to be willing to do stuff like that. Here's the thing. People do not care how much you know. They don't care how many theology degrees you have, how much Bible verses you can quote. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. So we're going to show this community that we care. If it means we get dirty and we sweat, we're going to do that. Jesus went to the sinners, didn't he? He didn't just come to the synagogue and say, I'm just waiting for the sinners to show up. No, he went out of his way to meet that immoral woman at the well. Out of his way to meet her. He went out of his way to minister to prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors. And we've got to do the same thing. Gone are the days. Now, we're having a fellowship meal today. Help us get to know each other as our holy huddle here. But I can't say we're having free pizza on Thursday night and hundreds of people show up. They're just not. They don't care about our pizza. They don't care about our game night. They don't care about that stuff. That's for us to energize us, to reach them. We've got to show this community that we love them and we care about them and we're willing to get dirty. Letter E, fishermen expect to catch something. I was at Dana Flowers' house yesterday helping them move to their new home. and In his garage, he had five or six different fishing rods. Well, I, we were trying to get the job done. I didn't ask him. I'm not a fisherman. But I expect different ones must be for different things. He had all kind of fishing supplies. They were living on the lake. Now they've moved. Fishermen expect to catch something. If you never catch anything, why the heck are you going fishing? If we believe that this is what God's called us to do, if we believe God's called us to have more than a holy huddle, just another Bible study for Christians, just another prayer meeting for Christians, if we believe God's going to do something big, when we pray for rain, you better get a dadgum umbrella. We're praying for 400 people on September the 11th. That's scary. Yes, the words used. That's scary to me, but it's also exciting, the words you use. What do I have to do to accommodate that? No, what do we have to do to accommodate that? We've got to pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth labors. We've got to pray for more Christians who are committed to the Lord to come. We're already multi-generational. We've got to pray for God to make us multi-ethnic. We need some Hispanic-speaking people here to help us reach this community. If we're going to have 400 here... Pastor Blue said, when you do your mail out, I'd put it in Spanish too. When I have to say we're not offering you know, bilingual services at this time, but those children who go to public school around here, they know how to speak English. We've got to be prepared for that. When we pray for rain, grab our umbrella. When that pastor last night messaged me on Messenger and said, we don't want to just send you money, we want to come help you. I'm thinking, we've got to get ready. Where am I going to put them? Where am I going to house them? How are we going to feed them? How am I going to do that working for Nabisco three days a week? I mean, if we're praying for this and God's going to send us the people, we got to be ready for that. It means we got to clean out some rooms because we might need to beg college students to come back and help us this summer for some of that stuff, even as you're away at home. we got to be ready. A fisherman expects to catch something. Easter at Purpose Church, I think, can give us a glimpse of what God can do. Psalm 126, 5 and 6 says, in the old King Jimmy, that's the translation I memorized it in. He who goes to and fro, weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with joyful shouting. It's one of Karen's songs, bringing in the sheaves. And the message paraphrase says this, those who planted their crops in despair, Lord, we don't have any money. Lord, we don't have a lot of people. But we're planting, we're weeping. Why do you weep? When you weep, you water those, those seeds with your tears shall come with, they'll shout hurrahs at the harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing, bringing in the sheaves. The last one I got to roll. Number four, we must live carefully. We must love God supremely. We've got to trust God for big things. We've got to live carefully. Ephesians says this, chapter 5 and verse 15. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. 
Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every opportunity. I only have 24 hours a day, and you only have 24 hours a day. The President of the United States only has 24 hours a day. What are we going to do with those 24 hours? I need to filter everything through my brain, getting us to September the 11th and 400 souls. And if there are 400 people here on that day, I'm trusting most of them will be lost and don't have a relationship with Jesus. What else do you know about September the 11th? It was a day of great tragedy in our country. It was a day out of great tragedy. Hope was born as we saw people come together. Our Congress stood on the steps of the Capitol and linked arms and sang hymns and prayed together. That's significant about September the 11th right there. But i got to think of every, every choice I'm faced. Somebody said, are you going to start men's groups? I can't do that right now. I work three days a week. I, I got to get over the soreness of it. I got to raise this much money for this plant. We got our Thursday night service. I can't do that. I got to filter everything through the goal. If the goal is to impact this community, what choices and decisions am I making today to help get us there? And not just because I'm the pastor, because it's all of us. We need to filter that as you face choices and decisions throughout the week and people give you opportunities to participate in something. What is the greatest thing I can do to prepare myself and Transformation Church for the harvest we're asking God to give us? So by our lives, we're either attracting people to the gospel. That's my story. I told you I grew up going to Bible school and church and I heard the gospel. Had very godly grandparents. My granny lived next door to me. She played the piano in a little bitty country church in Cordell and took me to church with her sometimes. I heard the gospel. I knew all of that. But when I was 15 years old and my parents divorced when I was in middle school, I told you my papa was my hero. My papa was dying of cancer. My great-grandmother was dying of cancer. I had the perfect little, I thought, Andy Griffith, Mayberry childhood. Small town, grandmother, aunts, uncles, cousins, everything about my life was centered around my family. Then all that shanked out from under me. That's gone. My family's messed up. I don't have the childhood I grew up with. I'm looking for hope and I'm looking for peace. I'm in the ninth grade at Chris County High School and I see kids that are not like me. I don't know what it was about them, but they were different. They had peace and they had joy. They, they traveled in a herd. They loved each other. And I noticed they didn't go to lunch when we went to lunch. So I ain't as dumb, and I was really shy back then. Maybe hard for you to believe. So I started trying to figure out where do they go when we go to lunch? So I found out they went to Mr. Clark's classroom. Mr. Clark was an algebra teacher who was a youth leader in a church that I later got saved in. And I looked in the window. I mean, cool. You know, I don't want to stand there and stare, but just kind of, kind of glance and keep going, you know, so I don't think I'm <laughs> some nerd. Then they're eating their lunch, and they're praying, and they're singing songs. I ain't never seen anything like that before. And the church I went to, young people sat in the back, and if somebody, you prayed nobody go down front, I didn't know what that meant, but it meant lunch was going to be late if somebody went down front. But these kids, when I thought, okay, they all go to the same church, I'm going to go to that church. Nobody invited me. Nobody shared the gospel with me. I just saw in them something I didn't have, peace and hope and joy. When I went to that church, those kids sat down front. We didn't sit down front. We sat in the back because we could cut up. They sat down front. When the invitation was given in that church, now I, listen, I'm new to this church stuff. I went to a kind of a dead church at the time. All those kids left and went to the altar and prayed. But didn't nobody tell me the church rules? I was like an idiot. I, I thought that was weird. Are they going to handle snakes? What's going to be next? They're all going down and getting on their knees and praying. And I'm standing there looking like a fool. I'm the only 15-year-old left by myself. I was ticked off. I was embarrassed. I thought, why wouldn't they tell me what I'm supposed to do? And they were in revival, and one night a guy by the name of Eddie McLemore 
said, Mike, my name's Eddie McLemore. He was older than me. I want you to know when you see us praying, we're praying for you. You don't think that will pierce the heart of a hurting 15-year-old boy whose world has been, fall, has been yanked out from under me? Wish I could tell you I fell to my knees and I got saved right then, but I didn't. And I said, oh, I go to church. I go to this church. out here. I have a church already. So I put up that front <clears throat> that a lot of people do, but I will never, ever forget that moment. Him saying, when we pray, we're praying for you. They love me. I heard the hope of the gospel. They started picking me up and taking me to church, picking me up on the little house I lived in on Cemetery Road, and I came to know Jesus, and I was 15 years old. I've not lived a perfect life. I've had a lot of junk happen in my life since then, backslidden for a period of time at UGA, but God transformed my life, and I'm passionate for everybody else to know that. Just like those kids loved me, I want Transformation Church to be... In this community, a church where people see the difference in us, Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works and glorify Transformation Church. Nope. See your good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Transformation Church. It's all about Jesus. So when they come in contact with us, let them see in us the one in whom is all they'll ever need because you might be the only Jesus some people ever see. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. I commend you in the Lord that you're here. I commend you, Lord, for dropping your nets and the routine of the familiar to come and be a part of something new. Do you realize this morning it's not about you? We're not looking for a holy huddle. We're not just looking for another Bible study. There are plenty of those out there. As we grow and God allows us to do more things, we'll offer things like that that we can't necessarily offer right now. But it's not about me. Do you know this Jesus? I told you I heard about the gospel most all of my life. My granny, would, I'd go next door and she'd pull out the maroon book off of her bookcase called Beautiful Bible Stories. And as a little boy, my granny would read to me from that book, planting seeds of the gospel in my heart. She probably watered those seeds with her tears as she prayed for me to come. I'm so thankful that my granny lived long enough and Alzheimer's didn't kick in until after I came to know Jesus so she could see the answer to her prayers. And by God's grace, I was able to preach her funeral, preach Three of, three of my four grandparents' funerals. Two of my four grandparents' funerals. What part are you going to play in Transformation Church? What part are you going to play in helping us touch and impact this community with the good news of the gospel? If you don't love Him supremely, it ain't going to happen. If you don't love Him supremely, you're going to get tired of this. You're going to get tired of this work. You're going to get tired of getting up early. You're going to get tired of having to sacrifice and do things different. But if we love God supremely, I'm not motivated by my whims or desires. I'm not motivated by your whims or desires. I'm motivated by what's it going to take for us to give maximum glory to Jesus in northeast Georgia and touch this community with this gospel. Let's pray together.